So if the BTFP is not extended, that is the effect of the equivalent of QT of about a half a trillion dollars by March 22nd. Well, hello there, my friends. Rafi here from the End Game Investor with this week's Silver Report for Arcadia Economics. Still here, still not complying. I'm not sure exactly what I'm not complying with, but I'm definitely not complying with it. We're going to start this week's Silver Report discussing the bank term funding program, how it might not be extended, and what happens then. Basically, it speeds up the pace of quantitative tightening to beyond the amount of dollars that are left to support it in the spare tank. So it's not a very good sign for the inflated Keynesian bubble economy. We're going to talk about the bond market. There's about $2 trillion that are due to be sold this year, which in addition to the $2 trillion more that have to be shifted from the bills category due in one year or less, to the notes category due between two years and 10 years, that's about $4 trillion in treasury notes that have to be issued before the end of the year. And there aren't that many dollars in the system. There are barely a tenth that amount of dollars in the system, which means the Fed is going to have to print more dollars very soon, probably within a month or two before we have another financial crisis though. Timing is always a tricky thing, as you all know. And then we're going to talk about our sponsor for Tuna Silver Mines, which paid back a big chunk of debt and is contributing to the shrinking money supply. Because when you pay back debt and the Fed isn't printing more money by buying debt, the money supply shrinks. So for Tuna, you're partly responsible for that shrinking money supply that is ongoing until today. And the Consumer Price Index, the CPI, came out today which would be yesterday by the time you're watching this. And the shelter index was what dragged it up past expectations. And because the shelter index is so stable and prices are very sticky, especially owner's equivalent rent, that probably means that CPI has bottomed out and we are headed for a new wave of higher consumer price inflation. So anyway, let's get to it. And we'll start with our sponsor, Fortuna Silver Mines, symbol FSM. The latest news out from Fortuna Silver Mines, January 10th, 2024 at 2 a.m. Pacific. That is a nice time to be awake. Vancouver, Fortuna Silver Mines is pleased to report that the company has paid down an additional $41 million of its revolving credit facility at the end of the fourth quarter of 2023 using cash on hand. Well, instead of going into the details, I'll just point out at $41 million paying off debt, paying off debt does shrink the money supply. And Fortuna is not the only company that's paying down debt. This continues to show that Fortuna is one of the more responsible gold and silver miners with their finances, which again is why I have it. I own it in my own personal portfolio. Of course, do your own due diligence in picking these stocks if you pick any of them at all. In any case, let's continue with this week's Silver Report. I'm going to begin on a simple technical note here. I'm not sure what has happened by the time you're watching this, but silver is dancing across the 200-week moving average here. The red line, which has been bouncing off and through and off again, uh, this red line, the 200-week moving average, has been actually remarkably 
stable going up at a steady pace for uh, at least the last two and a half years. We see from 2021, it was somewhere around, it was about $19 in 2021, and now it is at $23. So despite all this volatility, which is typical in silver, the 200-week moving average has been moving up pretty steadily, uh, and that is a sign of stable money. Though, of course, silver has not yet been remonetized, but it will in the end game, if only briefly, which is when you're going to have to spend your stacks, which is pretty much my mantra these days. But let's go to the next tab. This time we're doing tabs rather than slides. I don't know. I'm in a tabby mood. I think I'll order a tab. Nope, no time for that now. The computer's starting. So this is from the Wall Street Journal, which I uncovered today. Uh, it says, goodbye to the Fed's 2023 crisis facility, the BTFP, the Bank Term Funding Program. Another, In other words, the Regional Bank Bailout Program. We're going to get into the details here. These details are going to be pretty scary once you understand what they mean if this guy is serious in ending the program. So the first two paragraphs here, it says, a top Fed official, a top, top men. Top men. A top Fed official on Tuesday signaled that an emergency lending program set up to counter the fallout from the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, really to counter the fallout from the Fed's raising interest rates, would likely wind down as scheduled in mid-March. Michael Barr, the Fed's vice chairman for banking supervision, suggested the bank term funding program would not be extended. And so what happens then? What happens if this wonderful program is not extended beyond March, well, I'll show you a very simple graph, which will show us the magnitude of what is being suggested here. We've all seen this before. This is the Fed's balance sheet. Here's the apocalypse, September 2019, going up a little bit. And here's the COVID lockdown insanity. And we went pretty much vertical here. And then we were slowly moving up and up and up until around the end of uh, the middle of 2022. And we're starting to do QT. Oh, here's the first problem. Look at that. Just after a little bit of QT, you have this is the BTFP. This is the effect on the balance sheet. What happens is the Fed takes in these underwater bonds onto its balance sheet. Its balance sheet rises. And the banks that took advantage of this, that gave the Fed these assets represented by this bump here from $8.34 trillion to uh, $8.73 trillion. So what's that, like $400 billion or something? What's 8.3? Quick math, 8.3 to 8.7? Yeah, uh, $400 billion at least. It's going to be more than that because remember, this is fighting the other other QTs and other sectors of the Fed's balance sheet. So let's say, I don't know, like a half a trillion dollars, something around a half a trillion dollars. That is the uh, the bank term funding program. I could go into the exact chart, but you know, whatever, let's just estimate it. If we're off by 100 billion, who really cares? So if this program gets shut down in March and they are one year loans for face value of underwater bonds, so what happens is that the banks that took these bonds between the dates of March 8th, 2023, and March 22, 2023, they have to pay those loans back by March 8th, 2024, and March 22, 2024, because it's a one-year loan. So in in <laughs> in March, in March, these banks, if the 
program is not extended, are going to have to pay back a half a trillion dollars in loans and shrink the Fed's balance sheet when you pay money to the Fed, right? When you pay back a Fed loan, the money, the dollars goes to the Fed, the dollars go to the Fed, and then the Fed takes those dollars out of existence. So if the BTFP is not extended, that is the effect of the equivalent of QT of about a half a trillion dollars by March 22nd. Is the financial plumbing going to be able to take that? I don't think so. So I'm pretty sure the BTFP, one way or another, is going to be extended. But let's move on. There's one more thing I wanted to point out about this chart. I began it over here, uh, January 17th, January 24th, 2018. This was the first QT before the repocalypse of September 2019. So we have here, this was the peak of the balance sheet until then, about $4.44 trillion. And then they executed quantitative tightening until about September 11th, 2019 at $3.77 trillion. And then all of a sudden the repocalypse hit. Interest rates skyrocketed to 10%, and they had to print more money. So the link from here, January 2018 to September 2019, is about, what is that, about 20 months? Well, if we look at the length of the current QT, right, we had the balance sheet peak around here, May 2022, and we are now QTing until uh, the end of 2023. So that makes the calculation easy. Uh, it's about 19 months. It's about the same length, almost the same length as this QT until we hit a repocalypse over here. So judging by that history, we're pretty damn close. We're about a month or two away from something happening in the plumbing, maybe even less. And if we go to the next tab, we'll see that the reverse repos, if we zoom into a one-year chart here, we can see that the RRPs, the reverse repos, the spare dollars in the tank that were printed in 2020 and 2021 are down to $626 billion. So we got about a, eh, about a month until these zero out because as the treasury sucks up money to fund the deficit, they take it mostly from this facility. We've got about a month left and we've also got about a month or maybe, what is it, two months left until the BTFP, those loans have to be called in. So it could be that somewhere around March at the time where the bank term funding program, the regional bank bailout, Loans have to be paid back as well as the reverse repos falling to zero at the same time. It's going to be a rough March, people. This article from Yahoo, Bloomberg syndicated by Yahoo, the bond market rally is overlooking a soaring $2 trillion debt problem. Well, they're underestimating that problem by about half. Uh, it's really a $4 trillion debt problem, and I'll show you why in a second. We're going to read the key paragraph here. Over the next several weeks, governments from the US, UK, and the Eurozone will start flooding the market with bonds at a clip rarely seen before. Actually, never, <laughs> pretty much. Saddled with the kind of bloated deficits that were once unthinkable, these countries, along with Japan, will sell a net $2.1 trillion of new bonds to finance their 2024 spending plans, a 7% increase from last year, according to estimates from Bloomberg intelligence. However, it's not $2 trillion, It's more like $4 trillion. And why is that? Well, we're going to get out of the tabs for a second. I'm going to take you into the land of an Excel spreadsheet from SIFMA. These are outstanding bills, notes, and bonds from the U.S. Treasury. How much total debt is outstanding? The bills, of course, are the one month to one year maturities, the shortest on the yield curve. So all this money, $5.671 trillion is due within 
a year and most of it within one to three months. So this is the most ever that's been in the bills category. If we scroll up, you can see that the previous record was 2020 over here at 4.964, just about $5 trillion. That was during the lockdown period. And here we have $5.67 trillion. So point is a lot of that is going to have to move over to the notes category to free up some space in the bills arena. And this has already been reported on, uh, I think also by Bloomberg, may, might have been the FT, but I definitely did see an article that was telling that the treasury is going to be selling less bills because there just aren't enough. There isn't enough room in the bills category to keep raising this amount of debt. They already have to pay back $5.67 trillion, like around the eye of a hurricane, the crazy Ponzi, where they use money from the bills category to pay back other bills, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're going to have to move about $2 trillion over from bills to notes, in addition to the $2 trillion noted by the Bloomberg article that they're going to have to raise. So that's about $4 trillion moved over into the notes category in a year. And th that those amount of dollars just don't exist unless the Fed prints them, which it will. And finally, I wanted to go into the CPI, into the Consumer Price Index, because something is happening with owner's equivalent rent and shelter, which is keeping the CPI elevated, which means that the Fed is not going to reach its target of 2%. We have here owner's equivalent rent at 6.7%. This is the biggest component of the CPI by far, but 6.68%, actually 6.68%. If we look all the way back to the history of the owner's equivalent rent index, it has never been this high except for, here was the, the previous high in April 1986, at 6.65%, we're now at 6.68%, 6.68%, and yet we were higher over here. So with the exception of this brief period over here, which we just experienced, the owner's equivalent rent index has never been higher. And if we move to a, uh, a different version of this graph, if we change to a percent change view of this graph, we see that the percent change from last month is about 0.5%. And we've never really been that high either since around 1990. So this index is headed higher and so is the CPI. There is no way that the Fed is going to reach its target of 2% on the CPI. And we are headed towards a new round of consumer price inflation, which will make rate cuts very, very difficult. But they will have to happen anyway because we are at the verge of a financial crisis in the plumbing, as I showed you in the reverse repos, and because of the bank term funding program, especially if it closes, we're going to be in a combination of a highly inflationary environment with a financial crisis, which is going to force printing of ungodly amounts of money, even as consumer prices are continuing to rise. And what do you think happens to gold and silver in that scenario? We have a late 1970s, 1980 scenario. And I believe that will lead to the end game sometime this year, maybe later in the year, though I could always be wrong as I have been wrong before, but this is really pushing it now and something has got to give pretty soon. This is Rafi, the end game investor with this week's silver report for Arcadia Economics. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm excited for March. I'm also dreading it a little bit because even I don't know what's gonna happen but it's going to be interesting and ugly for a lot of people with a lot of fiat 
currency. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>